talking through a series called The Gifts, and uh, we're going to get to it in a minute, but before we do, um, I don't know if you know, there is a holiday coming up this coming week. Um, it's called Christmas. It's kind of a big deal, and we think it's a big deal. We think it's an awesome big deal. I, I have this deep conviction, okay? If you don't know me, you may not know this yet, um, but I do everything to extremes, okay? Um, I have a deep conviction that we of all people in the world should celebrate Christmas more recklessly, with more aggressiveness, with more energy than anybody else in the world, right? Because we know that Christmas is far more than presents and Santa and fun and food, that, that Christmas is this celebration, this thing that was so monumentally significant that thousands and thousands of angels exploded into song on the very first Christmas, right? And so when it comes to Christmas, we celebrate Christmas big. And so um, whether you're joining us online or you're in the room in person, we'd love for you to join us at Xmas at MCC. Um, it starts this week. Um, Friday uh, is, is Xmas Adam, right, on December 23rd because Adam came before Eve. Thank you. I appreciate the two people laughing. Um, it's a bad joke, right? Um, but <laughs> hey, you didn't have to amen at that part. We can just we can all move on, and you can wait 11 more months till I make the joke again. Okay, so December 23rd at 6 p.m., um, which is Friday night, 6 p.m., and then uh, Saturday. Uh, Christmas Eve, December 24th at 3 and 5 p.m. And, and here's an ask that I want to make of you um, is if you are not bringing someone or maybe it fits your schedule better and everything's a coin toss, if, um, if it works for you to come on December 23rd, we would love to ask you to come on December 23rd because because here's the thing about Christmas Eve services. Do you, do you know when everyone wants to go to Christmas Eve service? Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, Right. And there's only so many seats on Christmas Eve. So if it works for you, or maybe you have other family commitments on the 24th, um, or it's a coin toss either way, or you don't have family or anything like that, we'd love for you to come on the 23rd and help us make some space on the, the 24th for one of our Christmas Eve services. If it doesn't work and you can be for Christmas Eve services on the 24th, that's awesome. Be here and have a great time and have an awesome celebration. Here's the other thing that I know, okay? Um, we go big with Christmas. Okay, it's a big party. We, we want it to be a big celebration as a whole church. What I know is that um, that's not everybody's jam, right? Like that's not, that's not uh, maybe you grew up with a certain tradition and when it comes to Christmas, there's just a way, like there is a right way to eat sweet potatoes and there for you, there is a right way to have Christmas Eve service, right? And, and that's totally fine, which is why as you came in, um, or if you're online, Tana, our online host is gonna put a little link for you. Um, uh, as you came in, you got a little piece of paper on the back. There's a list of all the churches in our community that are doing Christmas Eve services with a little description. And if one of those schedules works better for you, if one of those styles of services work better for you, here, here, here's my honest offer to you. Go, enjoy it, celebrate the good, beautiful gift of Jesus being born, and, and then we'll see in January. Deal? Cool. Okay. Okay, so Christmas, Xmas at MCC. If you don't know why we call it Xmas MCC, I'll, sp I'll save you the story. Go to Xmas at MCC.com. Um, and trust me, when you type it into your web browser, your web browser won't catch on fire. 
okay? Just by writing xmess at mcc, okay? xmess at mcc.com, it'll tell you the whole story about why we do. Okay, um, we're doing the story called The Gifts, and it's based off of one verse. You, you probably know the story, Matthew, uh, Matthew 2, verse 11. Let's just jump right into it. It says this. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now, we're talking about um, what we call wise men or magi. Um, those are some, uh, in my opinion, those are some religious terms that we use to kind of clean up who these people really are. Um, I, I think we can as honestly just call them pagan priests. That, that's what they were. They were these, these priests of some other religious group that came. And, and that's, that's what's so astounding. Okay, I know I've said this every single week, but it just blows my mind. Because here's why. I don't have a category for this. Okay? There are certain things about the way we see God and the way we see the world. And, and when God says like, oh, he spoke things into creation. And we're like, okay, well, that fits in my category over here. And he healed the blind. And we're like, okay, that fits in this category over here. And, and, and his return's going to look like this. And it fits in this category. But then there's sometimes when scripture tells us something and it just doesn't fit in one of our categories, right? So for me, this whole story just doesn't fit in a category well for me. Here's what I mean. Um, what the story seems to portray to us is that God is so sovereign and so big and that the news of Jesus' birth is so good for all of creation that in some way he wrote into pagan prophecies the prediction that his son would be born so that hundreds of years later men thousands of miles away would walk to find a baby Jesus. That God's so sovereign that he could even use pagan priests to declare his goodness and his glory and his might. And that just for me, I just, for me, I just, that doesn't fit neatly for me. It's so astounding and, and, and just crazy to imagine, right? And, and so, so, so it says these, these, these magi, these wise men, these pagan priests, right? They come and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, now we've talked, right? We've talked the last couple of weeks about this, and, and we've talked about some things that you probably know. There, there were three gifts, and traditionally we um, imagine three wise men. Um, we know for certain that whoever showed up wasn't just three men. There, there may have been, by coincidence, there may have been three wise men or three pagan priests. Um, we don't know, but what we do know is that when a group of people would have traveled thousands of miles, there would have been a whole group of them traveling, yeah. right? So there's, there's probably dozens, if not hundreds of people traveling with all these wise men looking for this birth of this king of the Jews, and they come bringing these gifts, right? And in these last couple weeks, we've been talking about that um, these gifts have symbols. They're symbols. They're, they're foreshadowings. They're, they're declaring some, which again, just just... Just think about the ramifications of this. Like, God is using pagan, pagan priests to declare his character and his plan to all of creation. Right? It, 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 this is what they offer. They offer frankincense. The first week we talked about frankincense. And that one of the primary uses of frankincense was in the role of the high priest. That they would offer, they would burn frankincense as they offered prayers to God. And we talked about that this foreshadowed the role of Jesus 
as the great high priest, that, that Hebrews tells us that we have a sympathetic high priest, that, that he's understood all the ways that we've been tempted and yet he's without sin, that he has compassion and empathy on us, that he is a good, perfect high priest. And, and not only that he's a good, perfect high priest, but he's done everything that's needed. And Hebrews has this great promise, this great image. It says, so he sat down at the right hand of God because the work that needed to be done is finished for all time. Right? And so we talked about his role as the high priest. Last week, we talked about myrrh. And myrrh's, uh, one of the primary uses of myrrh in Jesus' day was as an embalming fluid. And so we talked about that this was foreshadowing the death of Jesus, that he would be the sacrificial lamb, that once for all times, he'd be given as a perfect sacrifice for all of us. And then this week, we're talking about this gift right here. We're talking about we're talking about gold. Now, you can probably guess. This is probably the easiest one to guess, the symbolism that gold might represent. It, it represents royalty. It represents authority. It represents kingship. It represents kingship. Now, there may be a lot of images. And so today, we're going to talk about Jesus as king, that this is a foreshadowing. This is a symbol pointing to. This is a declaration that they come. And, and I don't know if they understood well, I mean, they knew that he was a king, right? You remember they come to Herod and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews, which is really awkward because Herod's title was king of the Jews. And they're like, we want to worship him. And Herod says, oh, I'd like to put my hands on him too. You just let me know when you find him, right? And the symbol that declares to all of creation through the acts of pagan priests, this great king that's born. And when we think about kings, there's probably a lot of images, you know, purple and gold and majesty and might and armies and uh, castles and kingdoms that we could think of when we think of kings. There's probably a lot of images that come to our mind. So I, I want to play a little game with you, right? Uh, you willing to play a game with me? It's going to take a little interaction. You ready to play a game? Okay. Um, so I want you to think, you're going to have to kind of shout some things out, um, of of king things that you think of, okay? So, so here, here um, let's try this, okay? If you think of fast food, what do you think of? Burger King, right? Burger King, you see how this game's gonna go? Okay, we good with this? Here we go. When you think of England, what do you think? King Charles. King Charles. First service, I'm not making this up. So first service, someone goes, the queen. And I said, I think you missed the point of this king game. King Charles, right? King Charles. Um, when you think of animated movies, The Lion King. The Lion King. There you go. The Lion King. When you think of rock and roll, Elvis, Elvis of course. Okay. Now, this one might be a little tricky, um, but when you think of uh, great Christmas music, Nat King Cole. Someone, someone said Mariah Carey. Yeah. <laughs> you and the queen person need to. Nat King Cole, right? How about tennis? Billie Jean. Aha, Billie Jean King, right? Um, how about basketball? The goat, Giannis, come on. The GOAT, the greatest of all time, the LeBron, King James, the word of the Lord has been spoken and declared for all times. May you go in peace. 
<laughs> there's, there's a lot of images that we think about when we think about a king. There's a lot of emotions and ideas that we might come up with, but when we look at Jesus, this king of kings, Paul calls him. In Timothy, um, he writes, Paul writes to his mentee, um, a guy he's mentoring in Timothy, and he says this. He's talking about the end times when Jesus is going to come back, but look at how he describes Jesus' present status, who he is right now. He says this, for at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the king of all kings and Lord of all lords. The, the king of all kings. So, so here's what Paul's saying, right? There might be people in this world that you see and think they have power. There might be someone like in your work or in government or in the world affairs that you think like that person is a powerful, important person. They have sovereignty in the space that they work. And here's what Paul says. He says they bend their knee to the king, Jesus. That he is the king of all kings, not just of all creation, of all those that assert themselves of having any authority. They sit in submission. They bend their knee. They sit. In fact, one of the images scripture uses is that God has made them a footstool, that they sit under the leg. They're the leg rest of Jesus. That he has made all things, that through him and for him, all things were created. That he's the king of all kings. But, but here's the other thing about Jesus that's so important. He is a king like no other. He's a king like no other. Not just in his sovereignty and his might and that he is the king over all creation and over all things, but he's a king like no other. You see, I, I, I don't think, this is a conviction I'm, I'm growing stronger in, I don't think that Mary and Joseph themselves had any clue what kind of king Jesus was going to be. Yeah. I don't think themselves. I, I don't think that they imagined that the king that their nation had waited for, the king that would, that would supersede David, that would be this great fulfillment, that, that would re-usher in the kingdom of God into all creation, that would, be, that would restore Eden to creation, that this king would be born in poverty. That, that this king, I mean, how many kings do you know that have been born in poverty to blue-collar workers? That, I mean, that's what Joseph was. He was a day laborer. He was a king like no other. I think that when the priests and the religious leaders and the people of Israel imagined what this coming king would look like, it didn't look anything like Jesus because he is a king like no other. In fact, I don't think that they would have imagined that this king would have been a king who would have been rejected right. over and over and over again by his family, right? Like, you know the story, right? Jesus is like full into ministry. He's healing, he's teaching, like he is rocking it. And you remember what, um, what Mary and her kids do? They come after Jesus and they go, hey, hey, sorry, sorry guys. Sorry, we let Jesus out a little too early. Hey, don't worry, we're gonna bring him home. We're gonna bring him home. I know, he's, he's just not doing well. Let's just take him home. 
right? You, don't worry about it. Sorry, I know he said some really crazy things, but um, you'll just excuse him. We're going to take him home, right? But you know, that wasn't the first time that this king of all kings had been rejected by his very own family. He, here's something I, I, I'll honestly tell you. I didn't realize until just about a month ago. Think about this, okay? Um, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem, right? You know why he was born in the town of Bethlehem? He was born in the town of Bethlehem because Joseph's family was from Bethlehem. Now, historically, we believe that the town of Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth was probably um, like 500 to 1,000 people, okay? Now, no matter where you came from, that's a tiny town, right? There's some things about living in a town of 500 to 1,000 people, okay? Um, you may or may not know this. At one point in time in my adult life, I lived in a very small town of about 700 people um, in Arkansas. It was called Wiener, Arkansas, okay? And I worked at a church called Wiener Christian Church, which it is my great pride in ministry that that will forever be on my resume, Okay? <laughs> And, and you probably also don't know this. There's actually a town just down the street from Wiener. It's, it's about 30 miles down the street from Wiener um, called Flippin. And, and it's not flipping, right? Because in Arkansas, they don't know how to speak English. So it's Flippin. There's no G on it. And there is a Flippin Christian church, right? Which is, th there is not a better name, right? For a church. And when I lived in Wiener, in this town of like 700 people, he, here's the deal. Everybody knows everybody. Right? You have to know. And so Joseph comes to a town that his family's from. Like this is his historic family is from this town. And he comes into this very tiny town. And then think about suddenly when, when Joseph is bringing this woman into town who's pregnant and it's not his child, suddenly in a culture that one of its highest values is hospitality, Suddenly, in his hometown, with his family, suddenly there's no room in anybody's house. One crazy uncle says, I got a cave out back if you guys want to sit there overnight. This king of kings was rejected from the very beginning of his life. He was a king like no other. In fact, his, his, his great, majestic, triumphal entry into his capital city, when he comes mounted with power and strength and glory, came <laughs> on a donkey. And we've glorified it because of Palm Sunday. We're like, woo, Jesus on a donkey. Here's the deal, okay? Jesus was probably pretty short, okay? Just historically, Jesus was probably five foot four, five foot five. Okay. Um, as, as a friend of mine who was short would say, um, you know, he'd be like, hey, I'm not short. I'm the average height of a woman. And that was probably Jesus. Okay. Five foot four, five foot five. If you're riding on a donkey, your feet are still dragging at five foot five. Right. There's no glory and might. There's not, like, there's a lot of kings we've seen come riding into their capital city to ascend to their throne, mounted on great steeds with metal and diamonds and gold adorning and jewels adorning, gathered with them, thousands of soldiers marching in unison as the crowds bow in submission and the sound of the marching horses deafen the crowds. But this is not our king. He, he comes in on a workhorse. 
He comes in on donkey. He's a humble servant. He is a king like no other. When presented with the atrocities and the exploitation of people, he sees those people's faces and he sees their eyes and he has compassion on them. He stands at one point in front of a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And instead, as so many have done before, instead of flexing his muscles and say, how dare you? How dare you insult my glory by violating my rules? He kneels down and he sees her and he has compassion on her. And he says, where have they all gone? They don't condemn you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. He is a king of compassion and kindness. He is a king who, who does not lack might or sovereignty, but uses his strength to reach out and touch the most vulnerable and rejected and unwanted. He is a king who walks among lepers and those who've been ostracized by society. Think about, think about the king of all of creation, right? This is what, this is what um, the disciples know they're getting into. King of all creation. The king who's going to ascend to the throne of Israel and, and kick off the Roman oppressors and become the greatest kingdom of all the world, restoring the world back to the way it was meant to be. The sovereign God sitting on his throne. And you know what kind of people he gathers around him? Middle school dropouts. Like uneducated, here's the thing, you, you may not know this about Jewish culture. Um, ancient Jewish culture, and still today, huge value on education, right? In, 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 in Israel, they did not lack access to education. Their education system in some realms would embarrass us, okay? Um, because here's the thing, at a very young age as a Jewish boy, you were expected to memorize every single word of the Torah. And if you don't know how much the Torah is, it's the first five books of the Bible, which doesn't sound like a lot when they're 66 books, but they're long books. It's like 20% of the Bible. They had to memorize, like pre-puberty, memorize. And, and not just like, uh, you know, what does Exodus 14, 14 say? No, their, their rabbi would begin to speak from any spot in all of the Torah and then they would stop and they would have to finish the sentence. They, 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 they had such a value on education. And, and if you were not keeping pace, there was no like adjustment plan. There was no like, uh, well, let's see what we need to do. Some summer tutoring, some after school programs to kind of keep you up to par. It was just a cutoff. It was like, if you didn't cut it, you were out, go find a different job. And that's exactly how so many Jesus' disciples ended up as fishermen is because very early in their life, society said, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. And these are the people that Jesus goes to grab and say, you know what? You're going to be my closest people as the king of all of creation because he was a king like no other. He gathers himself around with rebels, violent rebels, with tax collectors who betrayed their own people for profit, for money, for comfort, because he's king like no other. 
He sat and showed mercy and kindness and grace to a woman ostracized by her own community in a community that Jesus' people disdained in the woman at the well. He showed compassion on, on the servant of a soldier of the oppressor who had oppressed his family and his people for generations in healing the centurion's servant. He showed compassion and mercy to the woman with the issue of, he- with the issue of bleeding, to Zacchaeus. This was a king of all of creation. And he used his sovereign might to bend down and to touch and to heal and to bring mercy. And in the end, a king like no other ascended to his throne, walked into his capital city so that there he might be arrested, falsely tried, beaten, mocked, the flesh ripped off of him until he slowly died the death of a murderer or a thief in public embarrassment and shame because he was a king like no other. And his might and his power was demonstrated in this. He was a king like no other, like nobody expected. Nobody expected the day that he died that the earth would shake. That, that the curtain would be torn in half from the top all the way down to the bottom. That the skies would become dark. That creation itself would scream at the atrocity of the death of this king. And definitely... Nobody expected that on that third day that this king would raise again because he's a king like no other. And here's the deal. We don't get to decide what kind of king Jesus is. But we do get to decide how we respond to him. And we have a choice. We can respond like Herod, right? Like Herod opposed, right? Like Herod was like, (laughs) ain't no room for two kings of the Jews. Right? He went into Bethlehem, had all the kids under two murdered. And, and here's the deal, right? You today, in some part of your life, maybe not in all your life, but there may be some part of your life today where you know that God is calling you to do something. That God's calling you to do something scary. He's calling you to do something hard. He's calling you to step away from something. He's calling you to step into something. He's calling you to be honest and have a hard conversation with someone or with yourself or to confess something. You know that there's something that God's calling you to do. And maybe today you're choosing in the face of the king of all creation to respond like Herod and to say, nope. Or you can be like the priests. We like the priests. Micah 5.2, it says this. Um, you know, like I said, the priests, they, they knew Scripture well, right? And so they knew this prophecy. It says this, but you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel who's a king of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Do you, do you know how... When the wise men came into, when the wise men came into Jerusalem, and they said, "Hey, the king of the Jews has been born. We're looking for him." Right? And Herod gathered people together. Said, "Oh, you know, where is he supposed to be born?" You, you know, they knew that this king that had been prophesied, this king that they were waiting for, 
This king that would overthrow the impression, that would, that would usher in the kingdom of God, restoring, they knew exactly where he'd be been born. And do you know, here, a little geography test, do you know how far away Bethlehem is from, uh, from Jerusalem? Six miles. Six miles. They stood six miles from the home of the king that they'd waited for for generations, and they ignored him. Six miles. Okay, um, let, me, let me tell you something um, that may be surprising to some of you. Um, at one point in my life, one time, one time, it only takes one time for it to be enough, one time, one time in my, um, I'm holding a Bible to swear to you, one time, one time I ran a half marathon. <laughs> I don't know why you laugh, that's offensive. <laughs> okay? I, I should have to say, um, I, when I ran the marathon, I, the half marathon, uh, not a marathon, when I ran the half marathon, I did wear a shirt the whole time that says, I heart bacon. Um, it just felt appropriate for a body type like this running 13.1 miles. 13.1 um, miles. The king of all of creation had been prophesied. Wise men from the east came and declared that he'd been born and he resided less than half of the distance that I carried this body in a half marathon. Six miles and they ignored him. The wise men returned to worship and bow down, and they went about their business. And for some of us, we respond like Herod, and we stand opposed to the things God calling us to do. But maybe just as bad, some of us, we've just ignored the things God's told us to do. We know. And here's the thing. Maybe it's been for months or for years or even decades, and the voice of the Lord has grown faint because you spent so much time knowing what God's calling you to do and just ignoring it. We have three choices. To respond to the king of kings, a king like no other, we can oppose him, we can ignore him, or we can be like the wise men and we can kneel down and worship him with all that we are. Because, see, here, here's, the, here's the incredible news, right? Um, John says it this way. He says that we love because he first loved us. Yeah. He's worthy of everything that we are. You know why? Because he first gave everything that he is, that he is the king sovereign over all, in need of nothing. And he stepped down, a king like no other, to come and to serve us and to grab our hand and to heal us and to give us life. And he's worthy of everything. I want to end today reading um, about 400 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet named Isaiah. And he wrote about this king that was coming, this, this, this king of kings and lord of lords, and, and he painted this really beautiful picture of who this Jesus is and why he's worthy of everything. And I want to end with reading to you from Isaiah 52 and 53. It says this, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, 
So his appearance was more and more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus, he'll sprinkle many nations. Kings, right? He's the king of kings. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. And, and then it's just like Isaiah pauses for a moment, just realizes that like all that he just claimed is like too majestic and amazing to even imagine. So he breaks it out for us. Here he says this. Who has believed our message? And whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, being Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted, and he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will also see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he bears their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself in death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors just like you and I. That's our king. 